0: Welcome back to another episode of our award-winning podcast, where we unravel the mysteries of the most intriguing scientific papers, making them accessible to everyone. I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Today we're diving into a paper that's making waves in the world of machine learning and large language models, or LLMs for short. Its title is "Eagle: Speculative Sampling Requires Rethinking Feature Uncertainty.
0: This paper is significant because it tackles a pressing problem in the field, the speed of language model inference. As language models have grown in size, their ability to quickly generate text has taken a hit. Just imagine Google taking several minutes to give you search results instead of milliseconds. Speed is crucial, and this paper proposes a solution.
1: Exactly, Tom. The core concept here is something called speculative sampling. Standard models generate text token by token, which is dreadfully slow for large models. Speculative sampling tries to predict a bunch of possible tokens quickly and then checks their validity in parallel, speeding up the process.
0: And about the big words in the title, speculative sampling, feature uncertainty, we're going to break all of that down as we go along. But to give you a gist, features are like intermediate representations of the text inside the model and uncertainty relates to the unpredictability when guessing the next bit of text.
1: The paper has a strong pedigree too. It's from researchers at Peking University, Microsoft Research, University of Waterloo, and the Vector Institute. For those who want to look more closely at their work, they've made their code available on GitHub.
0: So the paper declares itself as a new champion in the speculative sampling arena, claiming to be the fastest lossless acceleration framework out there. That's quite the statement. Lossless means that the speedup doesn't compromise the quality or accuracy of the text generated by the LLM.
1: Right. The method they propose, Eagle, promises to work without any fine-tuning of the large language model, which is a bit like saying you can make a car go faster without tinkering with its engine.
0: Let's buckle up, Jen. It's time for our deep dive. We're unpacking Eagle's methodology, dissecting its objectives, and exploring its implications. We're in for a wild ride, so let's get started. When energetic, Whimsical. Buckle in, listeners. We're about to take a quick break with an ad from a company that exists because of the speculative sampling buzz. Introducing Speedy Speak.
1: Ever dreamt of talking with the speed of a rap battle champion while debating the finer points of Proust's literature? Speedy Speak makes it happen. It's the latest communication craze, brought to you by the minds behind Eagle's revolutionary tech.
0: Yep, Speedy Speak takes the principle of accelerated language and applies it to your daily conversation. No more awkward silences, no more ums or us, just non-stop, high-speed chatting action.
1: It's perfect for first dates, high-stakes job interviews, or out-talking that one aunt who never seems to take a breath. With Speedy Speak, you'll be the enigma of eloquence, the sultan of speech. The,
0: the monarch of monologue and if you call now you'll get a bonus feature speculative silences for when you need a break from your own accelerated eloquence
1: just dial at high speed 1-800-speak-fast that's 1-800-s-p-e-a-k-f-a-s-t speedy speak because why talk slow when you can talk fast really really fast terms and conditioners apply may cause dizziness confusion or accidental poetry
0: and now back to our deep dive Welcome to our very detailed podcast episode, folks.
1: Today, we have an exciting paper for you titled Annotated Hands for Generative Models by Yue Young, Atithen Gandhi, and Greg Turk from the Georgia Institute of Technology.
0: Right off the bat, the significance of this paper in the field of AI, particularly in image generation, is pretty substantial. Generative models like GANs have been causing waves in their ability to create strikingly realistic images.
1: But despite such advances, there's been a consistent shortfall, generating realistic images of hands. This paper addressed that exact problem.
0: Historically, images generated by AI with hands in them suffer from oddities like too many or too few fingers, awkward angles, or incorrect orientations, which can be quite unsettling. But why hands?
1: One major reason is that hands may be underrepresented or too small in training datasets. Plus, hands have high flexibility and hardly maintain a standard orientation, complicating their replication.
0: Exactly. And because the non thumb fingers are similar, it's tough for generative models to generate the correct number of fingers and differentiate between left and right hands.
1: To tackle this, The authors propose augmenting the typical RGB training images with three additional channels that provide annotations specifically for hands.
0: They utilized these six-channel images to train two types of generative models, StyleGAN2 and a diffusion model. The really cool part, they tested on both synthetic and real photos with impressive improvements in image quality.
1: The implications are immense. This approach can potentially be extended to improve image generation involving other complex objects across various generative architectures.
0: And for the conclusion, which we'll circle back to later, this paper offers an innovative method that sets the foundation for a broader application in the field of generative modeling.
1: Absolutely. The authors have developed a novel framework that directly impacts the quality of generative modeling for hand images.
0: But let's dive into the core of this paper, where the meat of the research lies.
1: The researchers embarked on this study with a clear objective, to improve the generative model's ability to create hand images that are realistic and devoid of the common flaws.
0: They developed a training framework wherein they augmented standard training images with three extra channels, which served as annotations for the hands present in the images.
1: This step was crucial because generative models typically operate with RGB images, but by offering additional structured input, the models could learn to focus more finely on generating the hands.
0: Let's break down their approach. They used what's called a Mono model, which is quite neat. It stands for Manifold Objectionable.
1: With the Mono model, they synthesized images of hands with varied poses and textures, even randomizing backgrounds to enhance realism.
0: This is where they introduced the three additional annotation channels. The first channel provides information about different fingers. The key here is that each finger is indicated with different intensity values, simplifying their distinction for the model.
1: The second channel marks the finger segments from the hands base to the fingertips.
0: And the third channel distinguishes between the left and right hands, addressing one of those initial concerns about orientation, which is super clever.
1: Once they established these annotations, they trained the models on a dataset with these additional channels.
0: Now for methodologies, they relied on StyleGAN2's architecture and made modifications to accommodate the six-channel images.
1: Diffusion models were another focus. These models are trained to work in reverse by starting with noise and progressively creating clearer images.
0: For real images, the authors used a dataset called OneHand10K along with a library called MediaPipe for annotations, which detects key hand points in 3D.
1: And the results? Through various metrics like hand detection confidence and mean joint ratio differences, they were able to prove that the models trained with these six channels outperformed traditional three-channel models in generating realistic hand images.
0: This illustrates the potential impact of their findings on the field. It's not just a marginal improvement, but rather a significant advancement that could lead to better generative models across the board.
1: As we head into our conclusions, one clear takeaway from this paper is that additional structured information in training data can dramatically improve the performance of generative models in replicating complex objects like hands.
0: And the breadth of this work. It's not limited to one type of model. Whatever the generative framework, this approach could enhance image synthesis.
1: Our personal reflection on this Frankly, it's brilliant. Addressing a problem that might seem minor in the grand scope, but has large implications for the realism and usability of AI-generated imagery.
0: And that about wraps up our discussion on annotated hands for generative models. Jen, any final thoughts?
1: Just that I'm eager to see how this innovation continues to shape the field of AI and generative models, Tom.
0: Same here, Jen. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. If you want a deeper dive... Keep an eye out for our detailed episode notes and resources.
1: Until our next episode, keep pondering the wonders of AI.
0: See you next time. Have you ever looked at a hand model's portfolio and thought, these hands just aren't handy enough for me?
1: Then you need to check out HandyGener AI, a company born from the genius paper annotated hands for generative models.
0: Forget about sorting through thousands of stock photos to find the perfect hand. HandyGener AI's advanced AI creates custom, realistic hands on demand.
1: Need a hand making a peace sign with galaxy-painted nails? Done.
0: How about a handshake between a pirate hook and a robot claw? R. Consider it done.
1: With Handy Jenner AI, the resolution is so high, you can see every lifeline, fingerprint, and yes, even that tiny freckle you never noticed before
0: and fear those pesky generative model jitters no more. Our hands come with the standard five fingers, guaranteed.
1: Plus, our hand models don't need breaks, benefits, or manicures. Talk about cost-effective.
0: So wave goodbye to old-fashioned hand photography.
1: And give your projects a high-five with the perfect AI-generated hand from HandyGener AI, both HandyGener AI lending a high-quality hand, virtually.
0: Welcome, podcast enthusiasts and knowledge seekers, to another deep dive into the realms of cutting-edge scientific research. I'm your host, Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Today we've got something really special for you. We're unpacking a fascinating paper titled From GPT-4 to Gemini and Beyond, Assessing the Landscape of MLLMs on Generalizability, Trustworthiness, and Causality through Four Modalities.
0: This paper is a game-changer, folks. We're talking about the bleeding edge of AI here. Multimodal Large Language Models, or MLLMs, like GPT-4 by OpenAI and Gemini by Google.
1: The significance of this paper lies in its focus on evaluating these advanced AI systems. It's not just about how well they perform, but how broadly useful, reliable, and transparent they are in understanding and generating content across various modalities, text, code, images, and video.
0: We'll dive deep into why this paper is important and break down some really crucial concepts like generalizability, which is the AI's ability to perform well on new, unseen tasks or data.
1: Trustworthiness is another cornerstone discussed here, referring to the model's reliability and safety in various applications.
0: And let's not forget causality, the ability to understand cause-and-effect relationships within the data it's processing.
1: Before we get into the core of the paper, let's clarify some language. When we talk about modalities, we're referring to the different types of data the AI handles, like texts, pictures, and videos.
0: So buckle up, and let's get started on this journey from the present and into the future of AI with multimodal large language models. Now, let's get right into the core of this paper. What we find at the heart of this study is a comprehensive evaluation of the most advanced proprietary models like GPT-4 and Gemini, as well as several open source large language
1: models. The researchers created a massive dataset with 230 manually designed cases that tested how well these MLLMs handled tasks across text, code, images, and video.
0: They wanted to understand if these models could be generalized to various tasks, how trustworthy their outputs were, and whether they had a decent grasp of causal reasoning.
1: Methodology-wise, it's a qualitative study, sort of report card, if you will, boiling down the AI's performance into 12 scores, reflecting the three properties examined over the four modalities.
0: And from all this extensive testing, they identified 14 empirical findings to better grasp the strengths and weaknesses of these MLLMs, pointing towards how we can make them more reliable for day-to-day applications.
1: It's an incredible endeavor that really peels back the curtain on these AI behemoths and lets us peek into their digital brains.
0: Now, on to the implications and applications section. The potential impact of the findings from this paper on the field is far-reaching, Jen.
1: Absolutely, Tom. Improving the generalizability and trustworthiness of MLLMs could revolutionize how these models are used, ensuring they are not only powerful, but are safe and reliable companions in the AI-driven future.
0: This could affect everything from AI-assisted medical diagnoses, where we need accurate info, to content creation, like generating art or writing, where creativity must be balanced with contextual awareness.
1: And let's not leave out causality. By enhancing this aspect, MLLMs could provide richer, more connected experiences, parse complex data, and maybe even predict outcomes more effectively.
0: Wow, Jen, we've covered a lot today. Let's round it all up. We've delved into a paper that provides a critical look at some of the most sophisticated AI models to date, assessing their reliability through generalizability, trustworthiness, and causal reasoning.
1: Each of these models from GPT-4 to Gemini and the open-sourced ones was put to the test across text, code, images, and video, and the findings, they're pretty darn insightful for making these AIs better and more dependable.
0: It really paints a picture of the current landscape, Jen. While we're in awe of what these models can do, there's still a way to go before we can fully trust them with more complex and versatile applications.
1: I couldn't agree more, Tom. This paper isn't just an academic exercise. It's a crucial feedback loop for developers and researchers and plays a part in shaping the direction of AI development.
0: As always, the future is bright and brimming with possibilities. Thank you all for tuning in to this incredibly detailed journey through the landscape of MLLMs.
1: We hope you leave this podcast feeling informed and intrigued. Until next time, this is Jen. And Tom. Signing off. Keep pondering the possibilities and pushing the boundaries of your understanding.
0: Have you ever been lost in a conversation, wishing you had an AI buddy that understands not just words, but the pictures, videos, and even the code you're struggling with?
1: Introducing the all-new AI wonder, Multimodal Mate, born from the revelations of the game changing from GPT-4 to Gemini and beyond paper.
0: Multimodal Mate is your go-to pal for deciphering what your cat's latest painting actually represents, or explaining why your spaghetti code won't boil down to a working app.
1: With trustworthiness that rivals your dog's loyalty and generalizability, that makes a Swiss Army knife look under-equipped, it's the only friend you need in a digital pinch.
0: Ever wonder what your house plants are gossiping about when you're not around? Well, thanks to its causal reasoning upgrade, multimodal mate will tell you that yes, the ficus is indeed throwing shade.
1: Whether you're a meme enthusiast struggling with the deep philosophy behind cat videos or a coder in need of AI judgment that this doesn't look right, Multimodal Mate has your back.
0: Get your Multimodal Mate today and join the AI revolution where all your data speaks and all of it finally makes sense.
1: Feel like a genius, accomplice to a genius, Multimodal Mate, because who said you can't be buddies with a brainiac?
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to our award-winning podcast, where today we're delving into the world of orthographic variation and computational linguistics. I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Prepare yourself for a journey through time, language, and technology, as we explore the fascinating paper by Craig Messner and Tom Lippincott from the Center for Digital Humanities at Johns Hopkins University.
0: Titled, Pairing Orthographically Variant Literary Words to Standard Equivalents Using Neural Edit Distance Models, This paper presents breakthrough research in pairing words with unusual spellings from historical texts with their modern standard equivalents.
1: If that sounds a bit technical, don't worry. We'll unpack everything for you, starting with some background context. In the 19th century, authors often used distinct spellings to convey character accents or social status.
0: So, these orthographic variants are a window into sociolinguistic practices of the time, but they also pose a challenge for text analysis. This is where computational approaches come into play.
1: Indeed, Tom, and Messner and Lippincott created a corpus of these variant words from 19th century US literature and developed a way to automatically pair them with their standard forms using neural networks.
0: Perfectly put, Jen. Now let's break down some key concepts for our listeners. Orthography refers to the conventional spelling system of a language. When we say orthographic variants, we're talking about words that deviate from standard spelling.
1: And neural edit distance models are a cutting-edge computational technique. They use artificial neural networks to measure how many changes or edits are needed to turn one string of characters into another.
0: These models get trained on examples to learn the patterns in these edits, which is what our researchers did with their novel literary corpus. Let's jump into the meat of the paper the core ideas, methodologies, and findings.
1: The big goal here was to develop a system that could take a non-standard word from 19th century literature and find its standard equivalent today.
0: They started with texts from the Project Gutenberg Digital Library and automated the process of identifying potential variant words, which were then manually paired with standard forms.
1: They also used another corpus for comparison, the first certificate in English, which contains modern orthographic errors from language learners to test the robustness of their models across different datasets
0: crucially they explored different strategies for generating negative training samples which are essentially incorrect pairings that the model needs to learn to reject
1: and here's the kicker these strategies significantly impacted the model's performance which is super important for understanding how to fine tune the system
0: now The results. The models were pretty good at finding the correct pairs, but the researchers found that a mix of high and low edit distance negative examples was most effective for the literary variants.
1: Exactly, Tom. Variants from literature are uniquely challenging, as they're often purposefully irregular, reflecting diverse authorial styles and intentions, unlike learner errors that are more consistent in their deviation from standard spelling.
0: So. The implications of this research could be huge, especially for folks working on digital humanities projects that involve text from the 19th century. It opens up new possibilities for text processing, historical analysis, and even improving optical character recognition
1: software. True. The researchers also point out that this might just be the beginning. Incorporating context from sentences could further help in pairing these variants.
0: And as we head toward our conclusion, Let's reflect on the significance of this paper. Dealing with orthographic variants is not only a technical challenge, but also an opportunity to understand the past in new ways.
1: It's a crossroads of language evolution, historical context, and technical innovation. By addressing this challenge, we stand to gain richer, more accurate insights into the literature of different eras and the people who inhabited them.
0: And there you have it another mind-expanding episode in the can. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the world of computational linguistics and literary history.
1: I'm Jen, and on behalf of Tom and myself, we want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. We'll be back with another thought-provoking topic soon. Until next time.
0: Keep questioning, keep learning, and never lose your sense of wonder for the marvels of language and technology. Are you a hip, cool, casually time-traveling word wizard? Does the thought of deciphering Victorian slang make your monocle pop?
1: If so, grab your quills and petticoats because yay old word matchery is here, thanks to the breakthrough paper by Messner and Lippincott.
0: That's right, Jen. No longer will you stare befuddled at the word phantasmagoria. With our modern neural network-powered app, watch it transform into something less Haunted.
1: And worry not about your love notes looking like they were scribbled by a Shakespearean drunkard. Ye old word matchery elegantly pairs your these and thous to text that even your autocorrect won't sass you for.
0: Need to impress a professor, confound a cosplay enthusiast, or simply feel the thrill of getting every 19th century crossword right?
1: Ye old word matchery is your ticket to the past wrapped in the convenience of the present. Download now and get a free cybernetic quill because who writes by hand anymore?
0: And if you act fast, we'll throw in a complimentary thesaurus from the future. That's right, an actual thesaurus that predicts words not yet invented.
1: Terms and temporal paradoxes apply, but why worry? Log on to oldwordmatchery.io now and step into a world where language is limitless and the past is just a tap away.
0: Ye old word matchery, because old is the new new. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of emerging technologies and their implications. I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Today we have a truly intriguing topic for all of you. We're discussing a recently published paper entitled Expert with Clustering, Hierarchical Online Preference Learning Framework.
0: This paper comes from a team of researchers spread across prestigious institutions like Shanghai Tech University. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the University of North Carolina at Charlotte.
1: It's an important contribution to the field because it tackles the challenging problem of learning the preferences of users in online systems, particularly for mobility applications that affect both our personal lives and broader sustainability issues.
0: Right. For example, when you're using a navigation app, The system recommends routes based on various factors like traffic congestion and estimated time of arrival.
1: However, this paper acknowledges that users have unique and complex preferences. One person might prioritize a quick route, another might look for scenic drives, while another might prefer eco-friendly routes that minimize emissions.
0: Exactly, and the goal of this paper is to create a system that quickly learns these individual preferences and most importantly, minimizes regret
1: regret in this context refers to the difference between the system's performance and the best performance that could have been achieved in hindsight
0: to achieve this the paper introduces a new approach called the expert with clustering EWC framework it integrates clustering techniques and expert advice prediction which is fascinating because it utilizes hierarchical information about users.
1: This approach also introduces what they call the loss-guided distance metric, which helps create cluster centroids that genuinely represent user preferences.
0: And their results are impressive. In their experiments, they managed to reduce regret by 27.57% compared to the baseline LinUCB algorithm. This indicates a significant improvement in the system's ability to learn and adapt quickly to user preferences.
1: Before we delve deeper into the details, I think we should provide some background on key concepts our listeners might not be familiar with. Tom, would you like to start us off with contextual bandits?
0: Certainly. Contextual bandits are a framework often used in recommendation systems. Here's a simple way to think about it. Imagine you're at a restaurant choosing between two dishes.
1: Right. The choice you make, let's say choosing the dish that you think you'll like the most... That's the action in the bandit problem.
0: The term bandit comes from the one-armed bandits, or slot machines, because you're making a choice without complete information about the outcomes, much like pulling the lever on a slot machine.
1: The contextual part refers to the situation or context you are in. Maybe you're on a date, or you're in a hurry, or maybe you're trying to eat healthily.
0: So the contextual bandit algorithm tries to make the best recommendations, or actions, taking into account the context, or state of the environment, to maximize some kind of reward. In this case, your enjoyment of the meal.
1: Expert with Clustering EWC takes this a step further by grouping users with similar preferences together using a technique called clustering. Then, within these groups, it can make more informed predictions based on expert advice, hence the name Expert with Clustering.
0: And that brings us to clustering which is a method often used in data analysis to find patterns or groups within data points that have similar characteristics.
1: It's like having a bunch of different fruits and grouping them by color, size, or taste. Clustering users based on their preferences is a similar concept.
0: Exactly. And then the paper combines these methods with online learning, which means the system learns and adapts its recommendations as it gets more data from the user's choices over time.
1: That's the essence of the paper, but there's so much more to unpack here. In the rest of our podcast, we'll go into the detailed methodology the researchers used, discuss their findings, and explore the potential real-world applications and the broader impact of their work.
0: Stay with us as we take a short break, and when we return, we'll dive right into the core of this fascinating research paper. (music) All right, folks, before we get into the nitty-gritty of our topic, let's thank our sponsor for this episode, Route Mood.
1: Have you ever felt that your GPS is just too generic? Well, RouteMood understands. Their new app personalizes your driving experience based on your deepest, darkest driving desires.
0: Are you a scenic Sally who dreams of routes paved with gold and daisies? Or maybe a speedy Steve who measures time in nanoseconds?
1: How about a green Greg who won't touch the gas pedal unless it's to save the planet? Routemood learns what you love with creepy but super convenient precision.
0: Did we mention the foodie Fiona mode? It guides you through a path with the highest density of snack outlets per kilometer.
1: And the best part? Routemood doesn't just learn your moods. It it clusters them. Got a personality split between a thrifty Theo and a luxury Lisa? No problem.
0: With Routemood's patented mood cluster algorithm, It's like having a team of tiny route psychologists in your phone, constantly learning and battling it out for your navigational happiness.
1: So buckle up, take the wheel, and let Route Mood lead you down the road less traveled. Unless, of course, the road more traveled is what your heart truly desires.
0: Download Route Mood today and start turning every drive into a guiltily personalized getaway. And remember, with Route Mood, it's not about the destination. It's about the, well... I guess it is about the destination and how weirdly specific you can get there.
1: Now let's get back to the show.